Welcome back to another episode of Crossing Broadcast. I am your host, Kyle Pagan. It's MLB trade deadline day. Mike Lieberthal will be on later to talk about Alumni Weekend for the Phillies, trade deadline day, some baseball memories from his career. But first, I want to bring on the baseball bro, one of my favorite guys to talk just seam with. I like to talk seam with the guy, Bob Wankel from Crossed Up, from Crossing Broad, keeping the lights on at Crossing Broadcast and Crossing Broad, excuse me. Bob? Juan Soto gets traded minutes before we get on this thing. Uh, six players. They took back Eric Hosmer, one for the Phillies. They're only back two games on the Padres uh, in the wild card. Uh, a good thing for the Phillies. They play the Nationals 10 more times. Let's just add 10 more wins to the season right now. First thoughts. I mean, it looks like the Padres are going to spend a billion dollars on three guys. Yeah, the, the Padres are all in to be the second wild card team this season. Obviously, they're doing this more for the future as well, but it makes them an instant player in the National League. You get into the postseason this year, they're a team to be reckoned with. It's an all-in move um, from a fan standpoint, from a game standpoint. Like you, you have to love it. Like You have to love it if you're a Padres fan. They are now must-see television if you're a baseball fan. I'm all in on the Padres, Kyle. I love the Padres. That didn't sound like that was a real answer. No, I mean, listen, it's it's a, a it's a huge move. It's probably the biggest trade deadline move in the history of Major League Baseball, arguably arguably one of the top three. And it's going to now make the climb for the Phillies to obtain that second wild card all that much harder. I mean, the, the Padres have, have really improved themselves. Now, conversely, uh, the Phillies, I think, have multiple things they have to take into consideration here. The good news is the Phillies do play the Nationals 11 more times, and that is a terrible baseball team that has now just gotten a lot worse. And so they should be able to take advantage of that. It should help push them forward here down the stretch. So, great. What the Phillies now have to decide over the next six hours or so is – is it worth us now mortgaging any of our future to, to go in even more? Because you're really on a surface level, probably playing for that third wild card spot now. And so it's been 11 years. The fans want them to go. They've done a great job since Bryce Harper has gotten hurt to put themselves in the spot. I think the front office owes it to the Phillies to, to make a little bit of a push here. But to what degree do you want to go all in when you're really probably competing with the Cardinals at this point for that third and final playoff spot? So what do you think? I mean, all I hear is Noah Syndergaard. That's all I've been hearing. I mean, I know it's not the sexiest move, but I know Dave Dombrowski wants a guy who can win a playoff game. Yeah, I mean, listen, I feel a little bit for the fans because it has been so long. They want to see this team succeed. They want a team in the playoffs. And right now, like they're not even getting any juicy rumors to kind of deal with. Like mm -hmm. you're hearing Juan Soto and and all these big names going back and forth. Luis Castillo uh, at the end of last week, and and the Phillies are tied to Noah Syndergaard. And like that's it's hard to get kind of amped up for that. As far as Noah Syndergaard is concerned, he's been okay this year, uh, but he's not the guy that he was a couple of years ago. Even in 2019, he was throwing the ball 98 miles an hour consistently. His fastball velocity is down to 94 now. He's not the same guy. He's not the intimidating presence he used to be. Would he help solidify the back end of this rotation so you're not trotting Bailey Falter out there every five days? Yeah. And for a time, I think that that would have been the move I would have said the Phillies should make, like a number four, number five type starter to round this thing out, assuming that Zach Eflin's not going to be back anytime soon. But it's it's hard when you watch all this go down and you're like, yo, if you want this team to really make a move to get into the postseason and maybe be a player once they get there, 
I think this team needs a guy that they can hand the ball to in a game three of a wild card series, a decisive game, and say, lock it down for us. Noah Syndergaard is not that guy. And I don't know that Tyler Malley is that guy from the Reds, although he's probably the preferable option at this point between the two. So talk to me more about, like, it seems like they don't want to uh, – they don't want to trade Andrew Painter. They want to trade McAble. It doesn't seem like they even want to trade Griff McGarry. Um, as a Phillies fan, kind of looking at it from, like, a broader lens, you know, I – I'm not the Phillies are probably number three in Philadelphia for me and whatnot. I just have like shades of Kyle Drabeck. I don't, I don't know why. Like, it's like, I, I love that, you know, Andrew Painter's pay, playing awesome in, uh, in, in, in single a ball. That's awesome. But like you got Bryce Harper, it's going to be cool to see Andrew Painter come up in 2025, 2026. Like, is it more that they're just not there? They can't really compete in the playoffs. They can't do this. They can't do that. Or is it like Andrew Painter and Mick Abel might be Greg Maddox and uh, Tom Glavin or something like that? Yeah, I think there's so many different layers to this that you have to kind of unpack. I mean, listen, I I know exactly why you, you think about Kyle Drabeck because the Phillies haven't really had a prospect materialized and meet the hype uh, from a pitching standpoint really since – unless I'm missing somebody, Cole Hamels, you know, I mean, nobody's really risen to that level internally throughout this organization. So there's almost like a little bit of like a, a reluctance to buy into the hype when you hear it. Now, Andrew Painter, I think is different than the rest of the prospects that the Phillies are protecting right now. You hear Griff McGarry, Ben Brown, who was recently promoted to Reading. And I do think that there's a separation there. Andrew Painter could be on a little bit of a faster timeline than we initially assumed. And Dave Dombrowski talked a little bit about that last week, almost even hinting that if the progression is made, you could see them here, a guy like Mick Abel, a guy like Andrew Painter, maybe even in 2023. Mm-hmm. So the timeline has been sped up a little bit. I understand where the organization is coming uh, from, though. Like, If you're Dave Dombrowski, you get here and you're like, why has this organization been such a, a failure for a decade? And it's because the minor league system has been uh, bereft of talent and they have not developed the talent that they've had. So I think that the point of emphasis is we have to rebuild this thing. And you've seen so many Phillies teams in recent seasons really just not be well-rounded, super top-heavy. Well, one of the ways that you make your team more more well-rounded is not having to go out and spend at every position for premier talent. Like you have to be able at some point to develop that premier talent. So I understand a reluctance to part ways with a guy like Abel or Painter, certainly Painter. I do though simultaneously wonder how much of this is a little bit of like a negotiating ploy. Like we're not going to entertain conversations on Griff McGarry, who is a legitimate prospect, Ben Brown, Logan O'Hoppy, like, do they maybe loosen their stance here as they, they kind of get toward the trade de- deadline later today? Maybe. But I, I do understand the reluctance to talk on some of these players. But then you you also look and you see, like we talked about with the Padres, they're going to spend a billion dollars on three guys. Then you look at uh, Atlanta and what they're doing over there. They just signed Austin Rye. They've met Olsen under team control. I think Odorizzi Oda, Oda or Rizzi. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you see what they're doing. It, it seems like from from a broad lens is they're just they're running circles around other GMs, especially Dave Dombrowski in a way. Yeah. The Braves have been able to both with Ronald Acuna Jr. And, and Austin Riley sign what I would think are, are below market deals and long-term extensions with those guys. So credit to the Braves. So there's just two different schools of thought. Do you want to try to catch up to these teams right now and invest in what is 
likely going to be the, the third wild card team out of the National League in 2022? Do you want to invest in that group? To what degree do you want to mortgage future considerations to do it? Um, or do you kind of just sit back and say, like, now's not our time to strike? And the Phillies would probably tell you, and I'm not necessarily telling you this because I, I view it as frustrating, to be honest with you. Um, I think that they would tell you, like, we're getting back Gene Segura probably this week. We'll probably get Bryce Harper back before the end of the month. Uh, we made our big splashes this offseason when we went out and did massive deals with Kyle Schwarber and with Nick Castellanos. And, you know, it didn't work out or has not worked out yet with Castellanos. But, like, it's not as if the Phillies aren't in. They're, they're over the luxury tax threshold. It's easy to sell this and and – I don't know to what degree the fans are going to buy it, but the Phillies have been aggressive. They have spent, they have tried. They need to do more though. If they want to be serious about it this season. Yeah. Say, say so like you said, Gene comes back probably the next week. Harper comes back uh, and we get Syndergaard for, for a third, fourth starter. How does this team kind of stack up in the playoffs? Are we looking at, you know, division series, out of here, or are we looking at hey, maybe championship series if they if they start hitting and they start pitching? So I think the optimistic viewpoint is that Nick Castellanos is going to hit the, the numbers on the back of the baseball card and all that, and that there's enough thump in the, in the middle of this lineup, especially if Bryce Harper comes back and is even 80% of what he was before he got hurt. And then you look at the starting rotation, and, and the thought process is probably that Nola Wheeler can stack up against most other teams in a game one, game two, especially in a short series. But it really does come down to that game three. And do you trust at this point, I guess it would be Ranger Suarez, who was very good after he came off the injured list in three July appearances, no earned runs and 16 innings pitched. But is there enough of a sample size there at this point to really feel good about him being that that swing guy that determines potentially win or, or go home in a playoff series? And I don't know how great you can feel about that. So I guess to answer your question, my expectations right now, even as things stand, let's just assume they go out and get somebody to just sort of solidify the back of the rotation, and then they rely on those injured players coming back. I think they're better than the Cardinals, and I think that they're better than the Giants. And so I think that they're a playoff team at this point, especially when you consider a pretty favorable schedule down the stretch. I believe 36 of their final 60 games are against teams with losing records. We talked about how – they are, uh, you know, they have the Nationals 11 times. It's very favorable in that way. So I think this is a playoff team. Do I really think it's a team that can do some damage once they get there? I understand what they're trying to sell. Probably not. Okay. All right. Well, I was looking for some optimism. I I, I was listening to Crossed Up. It was a pretty optimistic podcast. It was pretty optimistic. And, like, listen, I mean, I think a lot of that optimism came from my counterpart, Anthony Sanfilippo. He thinks this team is – is going to be able to make some noise if it makes the playoffs. And I wouldn't think it's like the ultimate underdog story here. I mean, you're talking about one of the most expensive teams in baseball with a lot of star talent that has some, some big time names out there. And like, if they were to win a series or two in the postseason, I don't think that that would be the ultimate shocker. But if you're just talking about what are the, what are reasonable expectations? Like what should the Phillies do or what should they accomplish this season? I think anything else than a playoff appearance is probably a little bit, a little bit greedy, you know, not to say that this fan base shouldn't, shouldn't want more, shouldn't demand a world series winner. But I just think that internally the Phillies would probably feel pretty good about, Hey, we finally made the playoffs. 
Yeah, so my, my vibes are like, I'm right in the middle. Like, I, the four-game sweep of Pittsburgh's fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but they're a dumpster fire kind of team. Um, the sweep of the Cubs, who are also a dumpster fire team, uh, that also sticks in the back of my mind. So it's like, this team just consistently, I feel like, and this is happened for the last 11 years, and there are games above 500 now, but they just seem like a 500 team that's never able to get over that kind of hump. It feels like a little less... It feels like that Mets sweep in August last year, um, a little less with the, with the Pirates. Yeah, I could see the parallels between how you felt after that Mets sweep. Yeah. Zach Wheeler finishes it off. He's awesome. It's the beginning of August. You're like, mm-hmm. here they come. They're finally going to do this. Uh, I would tell you that this team, to me, is is certainly better, though. I, I think it's a more well-rounded team. I really do like the starting pitchers one through four at this point. Um the bullpen for two months. Like, listen, they haven't done this for a homestand. They haven't done it for two weeks. They haven't done it for one month. You go back to June one, which there's a a real turning point there. I mean, they changed their manager at that point Mm -hmm. and they've been the national leagues in terms of fan graphs, looking at war wins above replacement. They've been the best bullpen in the national league for two months. Now they have the third best bullpen ERA in the national league. This despite actually trotting out Jerry's familiar on a somewhat consistent basis, which is insane to me. Yeah. So this has been a really good bullpen, starting pitchings played, and the lineup at times can really get hot. And they've had different guys get hot at different times. And I said to Anthony yesterday, in a way, I don't think this is a great team. It's not. But one of the things I really do give it credit for is how resourceful it's been, how much it's fought, um, and and really how resilient it's been. They could have folded at numerous points, including when they were 22 and 29 after 51 games. They could have folded when Bryce Harper got hurt. All they've done is gone 17 and 12 since then. And so, yeah, like the Pirates aren't good, but how many times did we look at the Phillies last season? Hell, even the first weekend out of the All-Star break where they didn't take advantage of opportunities. You have to credit them for dropping the hammer against a bad team. So, okay. I, I do give this team a lot of credit, and I do have some level of belief in it, but I just don't think when you get to the Dodgers, this new look Padres team, assuming that Fernando Tatis Jr. comes back at some point and is what he can be, it's tough to say that they can play with these teams. Cassiano's hitting 382 since Jim Salisbury called him out. Yeah. You thinking about, you know, maybe going after, I don't know who's in a slump right now. Schwarber hasn't hit in a bomb, I feel like, forever. He's hit one, but I mean, I feel like he hasn't hit in a bomb. I'm trying to think. Uh, maybe Bryson Stott a little bit. Hey, hey, you know, did you hear the booze? Like, yeah, I mean, listen, if it's for the people of Philadelphia, I'll do it. Like, I'll go in there and and raise hell (laughs) and ruffle some feathers. Yeah, I mean, like, maybe I'll go with DD Gregorius and we can turn around his his 113 July into a a 350 August, you know. Uh, as far as Nick Castellanos goes, uh, I don't know that there was a bigger proponent or advocate of that signing than me, uh, this this offseason. I loved his game. I, I love his game. You know, an extra base hit machine, a guy that has some fire will get in your face a little bit. And it has not worked out. And even this last week, 382 since the Salisbury incident, a lot of dink and dunk. Like, I'm just waiting to see this guy shoot the ball into the gap a little bit, hit a couple over the fence and really get things going. I mean, it's encouraging, but I just feel like all season we've been like, maybe this will get him going. Mm-hmm. Maybe that three hit, four hit game will get him going. Like, we got to see it. He can still salvage his season with two really good months here down the stretch. He can do that, and he has it in him, but he's got to do it. Where are we at on Alec Bohm? Uh, Because, obviously, a a great July 
Um, I think me and you are typically on the fence about him. He kind of feels like a Reese Hoskins in a way. He'll have a great month. He'll go away for a couple of weeks. He'll have a great month, go away for a couple of weeks. Do you think this is sustainable? I mean, I, I still look at it and I'm looking at my third baseman and I would probably like more power than seven home runs for my third baseman. Um, and then if Hoskins does move uh, next season and he moves over to first, I don't know what they're thinking there. You know, you're going to want more than seven, eight, ten home runs. You're going to need like you know, fifteen to twenty-five for that guy. So, what do you think about Alec Bohm and if he's able to kind of uh, keep that up throughout the uh, throughout the season and, and beyond? Yeah, I mean, the month of July was amazing for him. At four thirty-four, multiple hit games in eight out of his last eleven. He's he was awesome in the month of July, and a big reason the Phillies are in the position they're in right now going into August. Uh, I've always been a little bit lukewarm on him. You know, one of the things that was really impressive is rookie year in 2020. I know it was a shortened season, but the willingness to use all fields just had like a real mature approach at the plate. And then we didn't see that at all last season. And we really didn't see a lot of it at different points this season, especially in May and in the first half of June. The biggest thing that you look at, you start to try to dive into the numbers and you're like, what's different? And I know there are stories out there. Uh, I think Alex Coffey of the Inquirer did a story about when the Phillies were playing the Cardinals, boom. Uh, and Kevin Long were looking at Paul Goldschmidt, and they made some alterations to his his load, and the, the foot was down sooner. So he's staying through the zone longer. And one of the things that's happening, though, you're like, well, is he hitting the ball harder? Because I tweeted out in that series finale against the Pirates, like, wow, this looks a lot different. You just had not seen Alec Bohm square up baseballs like this. And so you start looking at things like exit velocity. Is he really hitting the ball any harder? And he's not. The difference, though, is that he's hitting the ball in the air more. And that's not necessarily a fly ball that's traveling over the fence. He's hitting more line drives. He's finding more gaps. And that's been the biggest difference. You've seen that increase in launch angle. And you start to wonder, like, is Alec Bohm ever going to be a 25-30 homer guy? I don't see it. But I do wonder, can he be a 35-40 double guy? And I do think that he may have that in him. And so he's just a, a guy that you don't have to make a decision on right now. But I think what he's done is he sort of resurrected. I don't want to say he's resurrected his career because he's obviously good enough to be an everyday player somewhere. But for a team that wants to be all in and try to be among the elite, how does he fit in at a corner infield position? I think what he's done is at least given himself enough time to deserve a longer look. And I think that that's where we're at with Alec Boom. Really impressive. A lot to be optimistic about. But – I'm not totally, totally bought in, totally sold that this is the real thing here. What are you watching back there? Got NFL Network on? Little NFL Network uh, training camp uh, around. So we do every every uh, morning, we do the um, MLB Network, the quick pitch, okay. see all the games, do yeah. that once. And then I go over to Good Morning Football, go over to uh, the, the training camp live that they do. That's is, that a beer, is, that a, is that a beer fridge next to the TV? Is that a, is that a sound bar, it looks like, over there? there yeah so we have a, a little fridge back there and then uh yeah we got like the the xbox the old xbox over there it's actually like a rom you can play any nes games old nintendo games on it and stuff okay. so uh, yeah man good little good little setup back there um we're gonna try to get mike lieberthal in here shortly i'm gonna be right. working this as i'm but uh what are we talking xbox 360 xbox one that was an xbox one but but somebody rigged it to do like all the super nintendo genesis yeah so it's it's pretty cool Damn. i don't play like new games i'm 36 years old like i have Kids. a 10 month old now you know there's not a lot of time for video games but when i do i go like techno bowl techno super bowl rbi baseball like all the throwbacks rbi baseball yeah. That's not the one where you get to punch the guy, right? No, that's Slugfest. Yeah, yeah. yeah Slugfest. Slugfest was that was yeah. the NFL blitz yeah. of uh, of baseball games back in the day. Um, one baseball game that you would bring back to twenty twenty two. 
Man, I loved I loved World Series baseball for Sega Genesis, which was like okay. 1994, maybe 1995 sports talk baseball for Sega. Like that was my wheelhouse. Those games right there. So I know a lot of people would like say the like the early 2000s EA sports games, but I'm going back into the 90s for my pick. Yeah, 2005 uh, with Manny Ramirez on the cover. John Dowd, John Dowd being Barry Bond, just being an absolute white guy, white guy with an absolute strike zone that you you know. You couldn't pitch around him. He was he was absolutely amazing. Yeah, those were my games. But it always comes back to Tecmo Bowl for me. That's the one. That's like right. standing on an island. That's my game. All right. Well, we just got Mike in here. Uh, so let's bring him on, talk a little uh, alumni weekend and, uh, and some trade deadline. Mike, what's up, hey, buddy? What up, Kyle? How are you, man? This is my buddy, Bob, for he also works across Hi, the bowl with me. How you doing, Mike? Good yeah. to talk to you. Um, all right. So you probably just saw the news. Juan Soto goes to the Padres mega deal. Uh, I know you're, you watch a lot of Dodgers ball. Are you going to be tuning into the Padres this year? Yeah. I mean, I'm not really a huge Dodger fan. I mean, I take my kids to a few Dodger games a year and a few angel games a year, but it's not like, uh, I mean, the Phillies are still my favorite, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Padres, you know, it actually makes their team obviously a lot better. And they got their first baseman, too, who was hitting pretty well this, this year, too. Um, so, I mean, just their lineup. Obviously, they needed power. Their, their team needs power, outfield power. So that really helps them out. Yeah. So trade deadline, you know, comes around every year. You were a part of uh, a couple of big trades back in, you know, when you were with the Phillies. This is Scott Rowland at the deadline. Uh, you had Schilling at the deadline. What's kind of like the anxiety like around the deadline? Is there any or like, you know, the clubhouse, like when Roland was going through his thing, he was like, hey, man, I'll, I'll see you at the ballpark if you're there tomorrow. Like, what's it kind of like when you're uh, when you're a clubhouse? A little different when I played because we didn't have all these wild card teams. I mean, it's like now it's if you're playing 500 ball, you still have a chance to get on the wild card and teams are making moves that, uh, you know, like, I mean, the Boston trade was kind of weird, but, you know, they're <laughs> three games back and, you know, they they get fam and they give, give away Vasquez. It was kind of a weird deal, but um, yeah, it was like, we were always like out of the race. So it was always kind of, uh, you know, who, who could possibly go as opposed to like getting players in. So it was, uh, you know, there is anxiety going into, especially the last couple of days, last 24 hours coming to know if you, you know, can possibly be moved. I mean, there's a lot of guys with wives and kids and you're like, wow, we can, we have to actually move maybe in, uh, in the next 24 hours. So it's definitely a little anxiety. Were you ever actually directly tied into conversations? I mean, I, I grew up as a, a Phillies fan in, in South Jersey and, and watched you play, watched the teams play. And, and like you noted, uh, very infrequently were the Phillies really in the in the mix at the deadline. So they were usually in cell mode. So did, did you ever kind of know that you were a part of talks or they kind of just say, like, that's our guy behind the plate. We're going to leave him out of it. Yeah, not until, like, later in my career where I felt like I could get traded. You know, you hear the names, whether you're going to go to Boston or, you know, the Dodgers need a catcher. Or, so it's kind of like really the last, I would say, the last three, four days we were kind of thinking, wow, I may not be here in, you know, a few days. But um, for me, I really never felt that, like I said, until, like, the last few years. Um, but it was throughout my whole career when Philadelphia was always – you know, at some point, like, God, are we going to get somebody? We're, we're kind of playing good right now, and we're, you know, we, we need somebody. They better get somebody. You know, you're just talking about the general manager or who, who's out there and who, who we need. And 
um, you know, for teams now, there's so many teams that are in it now for that last wild card. It's just kind of different. How is it like ingratiating a guy like into, into the clubhouse? I always like kind of wondered like behind the scenes, like, you know, you guys probably have to, most of the team doesn't even know this guy. Like, what was it always about? Like, how did you welcome the guy in? I guess for lack of a better word. I would think most everyone's just really excited that you can help, you know, your your ball club. So, I mean, unlike maybe Maldonado, who's the catcher for the Astros, he might be a little upset right now because there goes his playing time and he, he's probably not going to play most of the time now. It's kind of a weird situation for somebody like that. You're like, wow, there goes my playing time. You know, that's the only situation where it's not uh, where you feel good about somebody coming in to uh, the clubhouse. But for the most part, I mean... I mean, guys are excited that you can help them out. Let me ask you this. So you you look at the Phillies right now, and, and some of their competitors in the National League have been very aggressive at the deadline here. The Phillies haven't done anything yet. And if you're in that clubhouse, like we talk about it in media, fans talk about it all the time, like, well, if they don't make a move, it's going to be deflating for that clubhouse. Like we've put ourselves in position. We, we climbed back from being 22 and 29 to put ourselves in this spot. We've withstood the Bryce Harper injury when everybody thought we were done. And do you think that the front office kind of does consider or front offices in general, if we're not talking about the Phillies specifically, like, you know what? We owe it to this group. We owe it to these guys to show some faith. And can it be deflating if a front office doesn't do something? I think it can definitely be deflating, but I think it's just for the first few days. And then you, basically move on and you you think you can do it with the club that you have um obviously the Phillies been playing well lately once they get Bryce Harper back they probably do need a couple little pieces but um you know as a player you feel like well we can still do it with our team I mean you might be disappointed the first day or two but um you know besides that it's just I mean the Phillies do have a big you know bat coming back into their lineup very soon so um you know I mean, it is deflating because you know that the Phillies are, you know, they're the last wild card spot and they're in it right now. I don't know how much you've been following the Phillies specifically, and I don't, I don't really want to put you on the spot. But I mean, do you have any general observations about really how they've played lately, the turnaround that they've had? Do you kind of think that this team, I'll ask you a bunch of questions so you can take it any way you want, really. Um, do you think this team has a specific need that they have to address here before the deadline later today? And do you kind of see this thing shaking out where the Phillies finally get back to the playoffs? I mean, like I said, I don't want to pin you down on one thing, but just some general sense of where you're at with this team right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't I'm not following the Phillies every day, but I know Alec Baum is just on fire right now, which is so huge for their lineup. Um and you know, without Harper being there, obviously, um the team has just been hitting a little better and they, they do need maybe another outfielder or maybe another infielder, but there are pieces and as you everyone always talks about the bullpen, you know, it was like last week, the Phillies almost lost what was the game seven to one. And then they, you know, they came back. So they almost lost, but are they won seven to six? But so the, they still have bullpen issues, but um, at the same time, I mean, it's like, it doesn't seem like there's one player that can just fill in that one piece. It's, it's probably two or three pieces that the Phillies need. And, uh, you know, they may not get it. And that just means it puts a little more pressure on the offense. I mean, there's been pressure on the offense all year. But finally, it seems like everyone's starting to click. Even Castellanos is starting to hit a little bit. So it's it just seems like the whole lineup is going to keep getting better, especially in Harper coming back. Yeah. 
You got another, you got another one, Bob? No. So you're you're coming back for alumni weekend this weekend. Um, what's it like? Like, who are you most excited to see and everything? I feel like, well, I'm 50 now, and I feel like I'm going to be one of the young guys since it's the 80s team that they're celebrating. So, yeah. uh, you know, I think everyone's going to be excited, Pete Rose being in the stadium and celebrating that team. But, uh, you know, I'm there almost every year, so I know pretty much all the guys there anyway. So it's going to be – it's always exciting. I haven't been really in Philadelphia for alumni weekend. It's been a few years just because of the COVID, but it's – um. Yeah, it'll be exciting. It'll be exciting for a couple of days at the stadium and to see a bunch of guys that I haven't seen in a while. Have you ever met Pete before? In an autograph signing, I think at Pepperdine <laughs> that, University. That doesn't surprise me at all. Like, the guy signs autographs like every single day. Yeah, he was sitting next to me signing autographs. He probably won't remember, but and then I've, I think I've passed by him at Caesar's Palace when he's like <laughs> making thirty grand a day signing autographs. So yeah. I think I said hello to him there. I don't know if he'll remember me. Uh, that's awesome. What, what um? So like when you were there and, and you came up right after the 1993 team, probably the arguably top five favorite team of a lot of people in the last 40, 50 years. Um, were they around a lot when you were still uh, when you were coming up in 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 the mid 90s? And like, you know, you had obviously, um, you know, Dutch, you took over for like how uh, how did they help you with like your career that that 1980s team or maybe even the young guys from that 93 team? Like what was Dutch like really is what yeah, long conversation. Different as I mean, I was in spring training, so I was drafted by the Phillies, obviously first round pick. And so I was always going to big league spring training and being around all these guys for a few years, even before the 94 season. So really that was my time in spring training to really get to know guys. And uh, you know, back then it just was kind of a different era. You know, you didn't really want to say much. You're a rookie. So I was just kind of quiet go about your business uh, now it seems you know everyone's seems like they've been there for 10 years and they come in like they're you know it's a little different swagger than it was then so uh you know dutch was always you know he was always the leader on the team he was very easy to talk to he was very down to earth but um you know he was all business also so he was uh i mean it just seemed like personalities on the like crook was always uh you know, so funny to watch, and uh, he was very entertaining. It just seemed like everyone in that clubhouse was had a personality. So it was, uh, you know, it was fun to be around for the short spring training stints that I had. '94, um, it seemed like everyone was hurt, and a lot of guys didn't return. So um, you know, I didn't really get a chance to really play with Lenny Dykstra very much. Uh, I wish I had because that's it was kind of '93 was kind of his last, you know, go around before he really got all the injuries, but 94 is a lockout year, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, so I didn't really get to play with many of the guys, um, besides spring training, but they actually moved Dalton out to left field. I want to say in like 96, 97, I think at that point they were basically saying to you, like, this is, this is your show. Right. And they right. And still so, had Dalton rostered. Yeah. He had so many injuries. It was just yeah. like one knee injury after another. So it was tough for him to catch anymore. And, um, you know, in this situation when he went to the Marlins and they won the World Series with him there, it was just uh, pretty amazing how he can go from one place to the other and still, you know, make a difference. So now, when do you come in this weekend? I come in Friday night. So I think I'm going to get Friday night's game. I guess they're celebrating Dan Baker. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, we'll go to through Sunday's game. 
so you come in and, and you get there Friday night and you see some of the guys, like, is there somebody that you're like, man, I haven't caught up with him in a little bit. Like, I'm really, really excited to see this guy. Like, I can't wait to catch up. Well, Randy Wolf is coming out with me, so I'm excited oh, to nice. – I don't get to see him very much. He's kind of living in Texas for the most part, so. Two uh, key members of the uh, 2007 Dodgers, right? Is it, do I have that right? That's right. <laughs> Burr, I know. Is the Wolfpack coming with him? I'll have to ask him that. Yeah. I, they, I, I heard a story where they oh, – that he's coming to town. <laughs> yeah, I heard a story where they left a wedding to go make it to a Randy Wolf uh, start. I mean, that's just dedication right there. Did uh, did you have a fan base? I know, obviously, Burl's Girls, uh, the Duck Pond, Levy's Ladies. They were like in the upper deck. There was I had at least eight of them. Eight of them. Okay. Okay. How did they go toe to toe with Burl's Girls? Right. I don't know. Burl had a lot of girls. I can't say that. Shocker. Um. So, what? Uh, I don't have anything. Do you have anything, Bob? No, I, I guess my, my question, so I actually will be down there this weekend. I, I cover the team on a, a part-time basis and everything, so maybe we'll, we'll bump into you. It would be good to kind of talk in a little bit more detail. But you come in, and I, I guess, you know, I, w- I want to swing this back a little bit to, to this Phillies team and, and where they're at. You know, everyone talks about this fan base, and everybody talks about the media here, and, and you mentioned Nick Castellanos earlier. And last week, we had an incident here uh, over the weekend where one of the reporters, and I, I guess you're actually probably familiar with Jim Salisbury. I know he was covering the team when you were here, and I don't know uh, what recollection of him you have specifically, but, you know, there's this incident. Uh, they kind of butt heads. It happens. You know this in, in locker rooms. Everybody moves forward, but it was all anybody could talk about for two days here. The fans have kind of gotten on him a little bit more recently. He had a really good road trip. Uh, they, they went out for a while, and I think that was probably helpful to this Phillies team, to be honest with you. Um, and he sort of stabilized things a little bit. But the fans have been turning on him. Boos are starting to get a little bit louder. What do you think about this, this media market, this fan base? And I'm not looking for a quote here from you, like something that we can retweet all over the planet. But, like, is it really as ruthless and hard to play here as, as people make it out to be, or does this kind of just get a little bit overblown sometimes? I think it's definitely overblown. I mean, it happens to a bunch of players. I mean, every year there's uh, two or three players that aren't performing to what their capabilities are. And, you know, it's like you look on the back of a bumble, bubblegum card and you know that Castellanos is – he may not have, like, his normal year, but he's going to come back and hit. I mean, he's hit his whole career. And you just know that the booze won't be very long as long as he keeps hitting and – I mean, for right now, he is under the spotlight. He had that with, you know, this Salisbury incident, and he hasn't been hitting, and he's been kind of like the ball club wasn't playing well until recently. So you know there's going to be two or three players that they're going to go after, and it's just a matter of turning it around with wins and uh, production, and the booze will go away. What was your take as a player on the the ebb and flow of, of media coming in and out of the clubhouse? I mean – you know, pregame things are opened up. Guys come in. They you do one on ones. You talk. Uh, maybe somebody grabs you after batting practice. You you know have a conversation. Maybe it's off the record, even for just background stuff. But then after the game, you know, let's say you're coming off of an 0 for four night. You leave a couple runners on base late in the game, and here I am, and I'm in your face asking you a question like, "Gee, Mike, you know what happened in that last at bat?" Or talk about what happened on that two two slider. Like as a player. 
did you kind of like look at it as I have to do this? This is just part of the job. Did you embrace the media? Like what was your, I think maybe what I'm, I'm trying to drive at here was sort of what was your assessment on dealing with the media on a day-to-day basis over 162 games? Right. You just know it's part of your job. You know how the game goes, whether you had two home runs and you won the game and you're icing in the weight room and the media comes in, you know, or the, um, you know, whoever works for the Phillies comes in and says, Mike, they need you to, you know, answer a few questions about your home runs. But it's the same thing goes with if you dropped a pop-up and you cost two runs and you know you got to be out there at a certain time and it's just part of the deal. It's not a – I mean, and most of the time you're not answering questions because you, you have no part of what happened during the game. And so it's – for the most part, you're not – you don't really have to answer too many questions. It's just a matter of you, you know, if you were part of the game of the win-loss scenario so it's, it's it's you know it's what you do it's what every team does i mean some teams you're kansas city royals and you have two media guys and you hardly ever have to answer questions but we're in a big city and just like boston new york la i mean it's just part of the deal you think that can in- impact certain players like we, we've heard this. this is one of the things that sports talk radio it gets said it's like well a guy comes in and he just can't handle philly he can't handle this market Maybe productive in a place like Kansas City, but you come here and things change a little bit. I mean, my view of it is the Eagles are, I think, a different animal in this market, right? Like the way that we talk about individual training camp practices, it's it's almost like the way that I think some markets probably talk about regular season games. I mean, they analyze everything here because there's an appetite from the fan base. I actually think that our our baseball media and being part of it. Is, is somewhat muted. Like, I, I think that we can probably have some some overreactions to things at times. But do you think that, that there's, like, a tangible impact on, on certain athletes about the way this market approaches it? Well, like I said, it's just like other – I mean, if you're in New York or Boston, you're going to get the same deal. I mean, I think it's great. It's great for uh, – I mean, just fans in general in Philadelphia, Boston, New York, it's totally different than L.A. L.A., you can suck for three months – and nobody's going to boo you. Nobody cares. They, you look up on the board and you're looking at Bellinger hitting 176. And everybody's like, really? I didn't even know he's hitting 176. But in Philadelphia, after the first month, you know somebody's hitting 176. So it's, it's actually, uh, you know, I love playing in that kind of environment. I mean, that's like what kind of makes it a little more exciting. Uh, are you a big Twitter guy? No, my kids are. They're all over Twitter, but I've never done the Twitter deal. Yeah, I would be curious. I mean, one of the big differences about, I would say, playing even as late as 06, 07 in playing in, in 2022 is the impact of social media. I mean, you have a game, and especially if you're a younger player, you grow up with this stuff. So presumably a lot of these guys, whether they're on verified accounts or maybe have burner accounts, like there's no doubt in my mind that after a game, I know I would, I'd hop in the clubhouse, I'd pick up my cell phone, I'd look at my text messages, I'd probably jump on Twitter and see – what are people talking about? I'd probably go so far as to to see what are people saying on Twitter, which whether you're an active user of it or not, you probably know is not always the friendliest place. So I guess it's just an extension to my previous question is like, <laughs> I know you said you don't use it. I know you didn't have it when you played. Do you think that, that players, it, it probably takes a little bit of a toll on a player looking at how social media talks about people on a daily basis? I think so for sure. I mean, uh, I mean, if you were on, I mean, isn't Bryce Harper on Twitter every day? And like some, and then the only problem is when players like comment on things, then it kind of, they get the backlash and right. they say wrong things. But 
Uh, I mean, Harper would be the guy to add. I mean, he probably has endorsements. <laughs> have, oh, you have uh, 1.5 million followers. Uh, we'll pay you this much for, you know. So I don't know if all the players are using Twitter, but if they are, I mean, it would suck if you have to go on Twitter and you're just following your name every day and, you know, you're kind of getting that backlash on how you're doing. Kyle, I, I don't know if you have anything else, but I, I have one more that I, I definitely to ask you. Somebody that's that's been through the grind, has, has played for some successful teams, teams that kind of failed to meet expectations, some teams that just weren't, frankly, very good to begin with, I guess. We saw over the last few years a really bad Phillies bullpen. We saw defensive deficiencies with this team. And 51 games into this season, they're 22 and 29. They're seven games under 500. It's Memorial Day, and – I think that even some more of the fair and balanced people, media guys, fans, looked at this team and said, they're in trouble. I mean, they've got no shot. And if you think that firing the manager and simply making a managerial switch is going to change this, you're kidding yourself. Because the problems of 2020, the problems of 2021, they're just simply rolling right into 2022. So making this switch, you can't put it on Joe. It's not his fault. They make a move. And since then, it's been a total 180. And even now, I still think it's unfair to pin things down on Joe, maybe the way that some have. But you can't argue with the results. I mean, it's it's night and day. I, I guess if you have any specific thoughts on this this switch, that would be great. But maybe just for more general terms even, um, what can a different personality, a different voice in the clubhouse do for a team? I mean, because it has probably been the story of the 2022 Phillies, the biggest story. Yeah, well, Joe Madden it didn't really go the same way for the Angels. They fired yeah. him a week later, and uh, disaster. First, <laughs> so I mean, you never know what's going to happen. I don't know the dynamics of Joe in that clubhouse and the guys that are playing for him. So I have no idea how much happier they are with Thompson, and I'm sure they are. But and I don't know the dealings they've had with Joe. So. Um, you know, but it, it's been a positive. I mean, it seems like, you know, guys like Thompson, it's just been uh, they kind of got on a roll there for two weeks. So but then they kind of slowed down for a while. Right. And then they they just kind of picked it up over the last few weeks. So I would imagine that the the change in voice from from Jim for to, to Terry Francona to Larry and then at the end to Charlie, uh, who I guess was there right at the end of, of your time with the Phillies. Four very different personalities, four very different voices. Did it have any impact on you as a player? I mean, was it I'm just going about my business every day or did that that different presence and voice of those four guys impact you as a player? Yeah, I mean, it's always different. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, when I played, I mean, Larry Bow is allowed to say whatever he wanted. I mean, he can, you know, get in your face. Uh, I don't see too many managers getting in players faces anymore. They'd be fired. It's like everybody's got to be your best friend. So when I came up for Gosey, I mean, he wasn't everybody's best friend. He kind of told you how it was. And it was the same going before that, probably with Dallas Green. And uh, yeah. But, you know, Terry Francona was a different personality. He was very easygoing. I think that's pretty much how most managers are now. They just they, they don't want to rock the boat. They want the players to be happy. And they're they're all about the players. And it's about communication. It just seems like Thompson has – seems like he has better communication skills than maybe joe had with the team and it just seems like that's what i read that the, he's very I've, good i've gathered that i mean that's my observation of it but yeah. yeah but it's just i think it's different as a manager now than when i played it's just uh you know they gotta kind of be more careful around the players i guess yeah all right i got nothing else bob what are you guys doing this weekend 
Well, Bob's going to be down there reporting. I'll be at Citizens Bank Park for at least three nights this weekend. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll I'll be there Sunday. Okay. I forget what they're doing Sunday, but they're doing something Sunday. So I'll be there for that 135 game. Right, right. And then we have like a golf outing on Monday. Why do you want to invite us to the suite? <laughs> yeah. Can you guys come up there? I yeah. Gonna, might be bored. I mean, I need somebody to talk to, or at least to run around the stadium a little bit. How's the spread? Eat some hot dogs. Eat some free hot yeah, dogs. Eat some hot dogs. How's the spread, you know, when alumni weekend in the suites? It's just the same, normal. I'd rather go around the stadium and just kind of melt around the food spots. Uh, you know. Now, the real question is, is there anything going on after the game? You guys yeah. do your thing. You're sitting in the suite watching the game. That's great. Phillies win 10-4. Are we, we going out in the hey, city afterwards or what? I mean, we should. I'm, I'm coming in with my girlfriend. I've been with her for about five, six years, and she's never been to Philadelphia. She's never experienced anything at the stadium at all so she's kind of like a newbie kind of coming in meeting all these people so now where are you taking mike lieberthal on saturday night after the game saturday <laughs> night we're gonna hit we're gonna hit we? old city uh sunday night we're, we're gonna go to mcgillen's big day i'm what? free until four o'clock you're free until four o'clock all right we're gonna start a nice little brunch right uh <laughs> and then we're gonna get we're gonna get a little boozy brunch because you don't want to you know Okay, Mike, you're going to have to get through both of those, uh, both those speeches. You know, you don't want to do it without a little buzz. Right. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. It's going to be a little hot and stuff. No speeches for me. I don't have to do any. <laughs> and then Sunday, you're going to stay Sunday. You're going to cancel your flight. And we're going to go to McGillan's and we're going to do karaoke. Okay. At 10 o'clock. All right. I'm there till Tuesday. So <laughs> oh, this lines up beautifully. That. <laughs> even better. Even better. All right, Mike, dude, I appreciate it so much. We'll have you on hopefully for a playoff run. You know what? In the thick of it. All right. Um, have wow. a great weekend. I'm sure Bob will run into you. If you want to come out to Ashburn Alley where my seats are, just text me okay. and we'll go from there. All right. All right, Kyle. Thanks, man. Right, see you, Bob. We'll see you soon. Thanks, all right, man. All right. Mike Lieberthal. Man, was that a was that like a, a childhood dream? Trip down memory lane. I watched a lot of very bad Phillies baseball in the late nineties and early two thousands and Mike Lieberthal was one of the very few bright spots of some of those teams. So that was cool. Get to get to talk to him. Maybe we will catch up this weekend for real. It would be, be good to kind of follow up with him. Yeah, I'll give you his number. And then we'll go out to McGillan's together. Yeah, that'd tell, be great. Tell the wife, hey, listen, I got to go party with a, with a – Ten-month-old, you, you take care of that. I gotta <laughs> yeah, I got to – Do hey, some beers with Mike. It's my childhood. It's one of my childhood idols. So it's like, you know, who are they to say now? Uh, well, Kevin Kincaid just – came out of nowhere on here what, what's up buddy how are you what's up no, I, got, I, I don't know if you guys were talking about this earlier but uh there's there's breaking news in the juan soto blockbuster oh. deal it has not been approved yet oh what happened well uh eric hosmer apparently is holding it up <laughs> because he's got a uh hang on one second here he's got a no trade clause and the nationals are on the no trade list oh casey mcdonald doesn't want to come back home to the east coast <laughs> <laughs> not to the not to the swamp apparently um yeah yeah let me see if i find something better here but yeah look at me coming in with breaking baseball news it's a baseball show on crossing broadcast today yeah um yeah hosmer no trade clause he was supposed to go to washington it was soto and bell uh going to san diego um, yeah, so listen, wait for updates. as a guy who was in dc this yeah. weekend i don't understand the allure uh, no. It's very humid, uh, yeah. way more humid than up here. 
Well, There's I mean, it's, it's San Diego. Going from San Diego to anywhere is a step down. That's so I, you, you, you gotta, you gotta respect the cherry blossoms, though, man. Come on. I could care less about the cherry <laughs> blossoms. I mean, there, the monuments stink. Uh, it, there's nothing to do. Like it is, if if you, I guess, if you like history yeah. and you like overpriced bars and coffee shops, you you go to DC. You could also say you go to Philadelphia as well. Yeah. Now we have but, a question uh, here from T. He says, "Does uh, does Bob always leave his TV on in the background whenever he's on a podcast?" We're gonna, get, we're gonna get copyrighted. Because Listen, I just, just try to, I just try to class things up here in the background. It makes it look like I'm dialed into the sports world, yeah. right? Like I just have a black screen on in the back. It's kind of boring right now. You're like, this is a sports yeah. guy now. He's, he's constantly dialed in. So. Yeah. I would that rather fire- watch that than, than like setting some generic thing on your TV, just like some atmospheric, like, you know, the real reason I do it is because if I put any movie on TV show, I actually like get sucked in by the plot. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is more just like white noise for me. So there you go. There you go. That's yeah. all. Day five that, of training camp. Is that fireplace actually emanating any heat? It can, it can get all the way up to uh, about 87. It's wow. Pretty intense. Yeah. Wow. The, wow. That reminds me of a nice little October Sunday, chili yeah. on the oven. It's like the Schefter drop-ins during the football season. He's got his bookshelf. He's got like yeah. his little Michigan mini helmet, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Try to work on a nice little setup in the back. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Kevin didn't just come on just to, you know, reappear and be like, hey, listen, I got to get on the Crossing Broadcast. I am one of the co-hosts and everything. We wanted to talk about stats and do stats matter in training camp. Now, what I think is stats only matter when they're good for my favorite player and bad for my least favorite player, Carson Wentz. Three interceptions and four snaps yesterday. (laughs) I had to tag uh, Bob and Joe Giglio at the same time because they're Carson Wentz's biggest haters in Philadelphia. So I thought they would get a kick out of that, you know. But I'm glad we had reporters down there logging his stats because apparently there's no fans down there watching the Commanders. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, you know, it so, was great. Yeah. You sent out that tweet, and the, the second that you sent it out, I was on Julio's show last night, and he did his his promo <laughs> tweet. So it was yeah. like you yeah. giving us a hard time breaking stones, yeah. and then Julio, like Bob yeah. Michael, be on at nine to talk Phils. Yes, yeah. Well, I mean, we're what? What's the stat, Kyle? We're three, uh, five days into camp now. Miles Sanders has been annoyed with the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jalen Rager has been annoyed with the media. He's bothered by quote cap ass shit. Um, who else do you think do you think John Clark has ever heard the term cap ass shit before yesterday (laughs) maybe not exactly that but John's probably a little more hip than people give him credit for you know he uh you know is a different John Clark off off the record you know but uh yeah I I, uh well just for translation here I had to triple check because I'm a 37 year old white man who went to Boyertown but cap cap ass shit means like you're lying you know right Oh, you're exaggerating, you know, like no cap, yeah. cap, no cap, right? So, well, Kyle, if you don't mind, I, I actually, I have to go in a couple of minutes, so I mm-hmm. want to tee up Kevin. Like, yeah. I want to get him, I want to get him fired up here. So, I read both of your pieces yesterday about why stats don't matter and why they do, and and I thought Kevin did a really good job explaining mm-hmm. that there's an appetite for this stuff. Maybe we don't always need to meet it. And I think you actually made this point to a degree, but I will submit to you guys that. Elliot Shore Park, so I know has been a frequent target of Crossing Broad and, and some of our content over the years. I actually sort of tip my cap to him, and I know that you more or less did this, but I would argue that Elliot does a fantastic job at creating content that he knows is going to get engagement. Like, I think that he plays a little bit of a bit. Like, does he go to, to Novacare every day in July and the beginning of August and say, 
man, I really need to see Jalen Hurts hit 18 to 22 today to, to know that he's had a good camp. I don't think he thinks that at all. I, I think either. he knows that he's going to be able to do this, go on Twitter, get 1,700 likes, 400 retweets, and become the it guy of the Eagles beat. Whereas <laughs> people that are a little bit more sensical aren't willing to do that. They're not willing to do that to their own brand. Like, I'm an established reporter. I'm a veteran guy. This is a joke. I would never in a million years do that shit. Elliot's like, oh, I'll do it. And yeah. and to him, it, it's it's worked. He's got a massive Twitter following. People don't necessarily always respect what he says on WIP, but they sure as hell tune in, which is why he's always on. I mean, WIP wouldn't be sticking him on air all the time if people weren't engaged by it. So I actually get my cap to Elliot and think that he's playing it the right way because he's become at the front of this beat for better or for worse. Yeah, that guy doesn't yeah. care about getting ratioed. Are you going to hang up and listen? I will hang up and listen. Thank you. <laughs> Bob just drops a bomb on us then. Logs I mean, I, I can't wait to hear you guys talk about it because that's really my my sense of it. Yeah. So I'm well, really interested to see how you guys There's a reason there's a guy on ESPN getting paid $10 million. See you, Bob. There's a reason Stephen A makes $10 million a year because he – I don't think Stephen A believes everything he says, but he has, yeah. a, a, he has a lot of uh, points to back it up. He has um, – he, he will yell over you to prove his point if he has to. Um, I think it, it, in a way – uh, and I think it actually takes not necessarily balls, but it's it is tough to get ratioed on Twitter so consistently and be able to keep coming uh, back because it yeah. does. I don't care if you're the strongest mentally human being in, in the world. Hearing you suck, you know, for 340 days out of the year does take a toll on you i guess but like you got to give people credit for having a thick skin to like not give a shit if people yeah. dislike what you're doing or what you're not doing that's why i always try to make it clear that uh you know when we're criticized angela or we you know criticize training camp stats or whatever like we always try to give people credit for like carving out a uh you know a role and carving out a niche and sticking to it i think what angelo does sucks but I always give him credit for the longevity and being able to do that and, and having an identity and finding that voice and carrying that voice for 30 years of ratings domination, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I couldn't I, do it. I don't think you could do it. I would hate myself if I if I came on Crossing Broad and just fabricated shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. If I did disingenuous bullshit, I, I think, and I'm not saying like, I, that's me talking about Angela. I think what Elliot does is fascinating <clears throat> because, you know, it's like, obviously there's a <clears throat> there's an audience for that stuff. You know what I mean? I mean, it's not like, you know, you you can, you know, shit on it all you want or say this isn't important or that's not important, but people are consuming it. You know, they talk about it on WIP and they take the stuff that he reports and the stats that he talks about. And they make that a large part of their their offseason shows, you know, which is why I, I made the the comparison the other day to like a supply and demand kind of thing. I mean, look, man, I got to tell you, like the, the Eagles pay everybody's bills in this market. Mm -hmm. Anybody works the sports. So there's 24, 7, 365 demand for the Eagles. Is there always supply to to plug in that demand? No, not always. You know, I mean, we're in this season. You got press conferences. You got good storylines. You have real game film to go over. Sure, you can plug it in easily. But you know, there's a huge void, a huge demand in uh, late July and early August because people are getting itchy. And so, you know, Elliot and other guys fill it in with what they see at camp. And it may not be that important, but like the void's got to be filled with something. And people consume that, man. I mean, you look at his tweets. I don't want it to be this an Elliot thing either, too, because it's not. I mean, I see like a New York Giants guy, you know, saying how many passes Daniel Jones mm -hmm. 
you know, completed at, at training camp. So it's, it's definitely goes beyond Philadelphia, but I think it's just a product of supply and demand. It's more of a macro level question of like, does, does this, does this supply matter? You know, they've got like a, a, a formula that really, really works for them. Um, and you got to give people credit whenever they, they stumble onto some kind of routine that works, but you can ask whether it, it, it matters and whether people give a shit or not. It's probably not that important, but Hey, more power to them. That's why I say it's not about you, you. You don't hate the player. You hate the game, right? True. Yeah. I mean, you look yeah. at our look at our uh, our Monday post. We probably did around 10 to 11. 80 percent of them. It's on trade deadline day for for Philadelphia Phillies. And 80 yeah. percent of them are about the Eagles. Um, yeah. 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 You know, we yeah. had the tackling one. We had obviously Jalen Rager uh, quote tweeting. Um, I'm trying to think what else we had. I, I wrote about the valuation today. We could have even that came out yesterday. We could have even written that. But yeah. you see it like, you know, we're we're in the thick of of a playoff race trade deadline day for for the MLB. You know, obviously the Phillies don't make any moves and whatnot, but like yeah. Yeah. nine out of the 11 posts and the other two were on Wawa. So. Yeah, no, I know it's fun. Yeah, it's fine, man. I, th- I think you get to a question, too, of like whether stuff if, if people are doing something and it's harmless, then fine. But people are doing something that's harmful, then whatever. And this is why I always say, because people ask me straight up, it's like, why do you always go after Angelo, but you don't go after a guy like Gargano, who's running a shtick too? Like, the cuz is like a shtick, right? But my answer to that is always like, well, I think the cuz shtick is harmless. Like, he's just like an overexcited, like, hey, I'm bros with everybody. Like, that's not harming anybody, right? I think in Angelo's case, like a lot of the Negadelphia ends up like just rubbing off on a large listener base and, you know, WIP, I think, has helped contribute to the, like, knee-jerk reaction. Like, we're always negative about the Eagles and always blowing up stuff that probably shouldn't be blown up, for sure. Maybe, maybe not the training camp stats adds to that or it doesn't. I'm not really sure. Um, you know, but if, like, the players get pissed off. You know, I, I'll give you a good example, actually. Sarah Todd from the Inquirer was down to the, the Sixers, like, four years ago or five years ago during preseason. She just saw, shot, like, a clip of a couple shots or something and like Robert Covington and some other guys hit like one out of like five three-pointers and then it went viral on uh Twitter is just like these guys can't hit shit you know but it was just like an innocuous like video clip it wasn't meant to say anything but the players got pissed off about it you know like why are you showing this like you know cherry-picked clip of us missing a bunch of shots that wasn't like her intention or whatever it's just like hey we're out here here's some video but, you know, I don't know, maybe the maybe players, maybe they don't, but maybe they look at it and like, hey, why is, you know, some guy charting every single pass that we're throwing? Like, you know, oh, it's, sure. oh, is, it, is it overly scrutinized to the point where it's harmful? You know, like that's the rhetorical question I would ask. It, it kind of goes back to the Jeff McLean, Les Bowen thing when Asante Samuel's running through the running through the uh, locker room being like, where's Jeff? Where's Les? Where's? <laughs> trying to I set think, him, trying to organize it. Yeah, because I think these guys yeah. get talked about so much. That yeah. when, you know, these other when these guys who talk about them, you know, spend hours a day talking about them when they have kind of a fall from grace, they love that shit. Yeah. So it's like who's yeah. right and who's wrong? Because, you know, Asante Samuel's going after two of the of the best Eagles beat reporters <laughs> who just supposedly brought in the uh, yeah. in, in the parking lot. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, you know, and we see it a lot. And like you said, A.J. Brown, Miles Sanders, um, uh, Jalen Rager yesterday. Mm-hmm. We're, there's going to be more and, and it's going to be, you know, more like. I think common for for NFL players to kind yeah. of quote tweet stuff from training camp or kind of change the narrative on training camp. All it does is take is one guy going on a podcast who plays for the Eagles and being like these these reports are such bullshit. And here's why X, Y, Z. I mean, you had yeah. Nick Sirianni during his uh, 15 minute presser yesterday. He broke down every 
uh, Jalen Hurts, there was three of them, every Jalen Hurts interception, interception because yeah. he knows how it's going to be written, but he is standing up for his guy in a way and yeah. talking about why these happened this way or, or why he might have thrown it. Or I think he said one of them, he uh, he didn't have his back foot planted and his hips weren't engaged enough and stuff. Yeah. So that's re- but that also is 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 kind of a credit to the beat reporters because they get that out of Nick Sirianni. So now we know more about what's going through. And that's Nick's how it's supposed to work. Yeah. yeah. That's how it's supposed to work. And look, I would never, I think, I think you always work off a baseline thing where it's like the customer is always right, you know? And if the customer wants training camp stats and they want to know how many passes that yeah. Jalen Hurts completed, you know, who am I to argue or tell them that's stupid, you know? But on the other hand, we know that Eagles fans can be, you know, a little over analytical of things and maybe, you know, boost things that probably don't need to be boosted and maybe yeah. overreact to certain things. So I don't know, but then that, that, that becomes weird. Cause then you're telling people like what they need to know and what they don't need to know. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, you, you get into a different question there of like, is this worth sharing or is this not worth sharing? There's such a, there's such a insatiable demand for mm-hmm. Eagles, anything, man, that like, mm-hmm. you know, well, this is what we have. You know, that's why I made the, the gross analogy in the article. It's like, if we don't have anything but shit, right now for the Eagles. I could give, I could provide shit to the fans and they would consume it because it's like, they will take Eagles anything at this point. Mm -hmm. So I can't, I personally think it's dumb and I wouldn't do it, but you know, if spike wants to go defend Elliot and the other guys who are doing training camps, that's, and that works for WIP and they have a readership and a listenership that likes those kinds of things. And who am I to say that it's, it's, Mm -hmm. they shouldn't do it. You know, everybody does what works for them. The crossing broad reader is not the same as the Philadelphia inquire reader who's not the same as the WIP listener. So everybody's got their own audience and, you know, maybe what works for somebody doesn't work for another person. So that's how, that's how I try to be fair about it, man. I personally think that shit sucks, but if somebody finds something that works for them, then I think it would be naive to kind of poo poo what somebody else is doing, you know? Yeah. You got anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this up? Nah, man. Uh, Sixers stadium, not being doubled in size. I know we tweeted that out. We did correct it, but it was the third, thread down so i want to make sure people know that oh yeah the Sixers put, yeah. are not doubling their arena they are adding about sixty thousand square feet onto it so it's not like they're they're not adding on a lot more they want to purchase the greyhound uh yeah. behind it i'm trying to think if there's anything else big that we did yesterday not that i can really think of just some eagle stuff you know i thought the miles sanders stuff was kind of a nothing burger you know i mean they rotate um you know backs plenty during the season and sirianni said that's what they're doing during camp um you know, Jalen Rager being bothered. I, I just think like in general, I, this is the last thing I would say. Like, something I gotta tell Miles Sanders and Jalen Rager, you don't go on Twitter, man. Yeah. Do not go on Twitter. Do not look at the internet. Just like for, Miles Sanders got to focus on Miles Sanders. Jalen Rager's got to focus on Jalen Rager. That's it, man. Yeah. So he's got to take these guys' phones. It should be like when you go into a classroom and you put it in a cubby. You know, yeah. I mean, Jaylen, you, can't, you, can't, well, you can't look at it until you're done, you know? I mean, think about like fighting for a spot and then going on – Twitter and quote tweeting John Clark and then deleting it in the next five minutes is like, did that feel good? Because you know an Eagles PR person probably got to him and was like, man, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and he's got a history had of conversations that, about him. Yeah. And he's got a history of deleting his Twitter, deleting his Instagram, coming back and stuff. And Miles Sanders was always, he's pretty outspoken with the uh, don't boo the players thing. And he got some pushback for that and stuff. And that was oh, a whole right. conversation. He did have that thing. Yeah. For well, 48 I remember, hours. I remember, I think it was last year, actually, during camp, Andre Dillard said he like deleted social media and made like a yeah. real concerted effort to like. Just and he's never really him. had a problem. <laughs> no, I mean, ever since then, he's not. I mean, and he didn't, he didn't. His, the only the only problem with him is that people felt like he wasn't living up to being a first round draft pick. But I mean, the games that he's played, 
you know, since then he's looked like pretty solid, you know, he's still on the roster. So I don't know. It's just hard. to. I imagine it's probably pretty hard to block all that shit out for them, but they just have to try as hard as they can. You know, just a product of the Eagle band. People want Eagles all the time, man. There's like 50 reporters down there. You know, you just got to gotta handle it and find a way to compartmentalize it. Yeah. I mean, I, I if, if I didn't do this job, I, I think I, I mean, I'm not a professional athlete, but I think I could just turn off social media, but that's different people. Um, I think Jalen, I actually do believe Jalen hurts doesn't actually. And I, and I, did believe Carson Wentz actually did not know a lot about what was going on. You always heard yeah. it like secondhand information, and that's you when you kind of got that. And like that the question. PR staff will kind of keep you like uh, abreast of the situation, you know. But so you can kind of have an idea of what's going on, you know. Hey, here's the themes. Here's whatever, you know. But it doesn't mean you're like searching your name on on your phone or whatever. Bob Lang, one of the best in the business, baby. Mm-hmm. All right, that's Crossing Broadcast. Thanks to Bob Wankel. Thanks to Mike Lieberthal. Thanks to Kevin Kincaid. We will not be having a show on Thursday. Uh, we will be having an off-site party for Crossing Broadcast, or for Crossing Broad, excuse me. Um, and we'll talk to you next Tuesday. So enjoy your weekend. Hopefully the, the Phils make some trade deadline moves, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Uh-huh.